Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. A little later than is good for us, here comes episode 128, with Brian McMillan and I reeling from the mind-bending events of Age of Ultron 10. The first half of this two-hour episode is just the pair of us reeling in a way that seems suspiciously like bemused shit-talking. It is a complainathon of epic proportions just before our upcoming skip week. But also discussed with greater and lesser degrees of ability and enthusiasm, uh, Jeff Loeb on Superman Batman, The Origin of Hordak, Shade the Changing Man, The Passing of Kim Thompson, The Ditko Public Service Package, Empowered by Adam Warren, Judge Dredd, Pat Mills, Uncanny Avengers, and much, much more. Somewhat truncated show notes are available for you over at savagecritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions either there or at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy. How about yourself, sir? I am perfectly good. It's been a slightly crazy week, as you know, but it's sort of settling down. I, I, it's it's heading towards a good end of the week. Really? Really? Well, that's yes. fantastic. So that's good. It's good to know. I can, by the way, hear myself in your background already. Mm, okay, hold on. Please. Let me turn down the volume. How's that? Uh, I can't hear you. That's great. That's great. I can't hear me either, so this will work out perfectly. And I minimized myself. Woo! Because I'm. Yes, I, you have. Because you don't want to see yourself. Well, actually, I'm more paranoid. For whatever reason, that first time when we tried to connect, I sort of suspect my internet's being a, a little off today. Wow, that 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 bodes well for the recording of a podcast. Doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. I thought so. <laughs> I thought so as well. Yeah. You, you know what it is? It's the Age of Ultron, Jeff. Oh, God. Yeah. Ultron is in your internet. Right now, he's like, well, you know, my comic ended up being a piece of shit, so I'm just going <laughs> to fuck with everyone's internet now. <laughs> their, their face, they will rue the day that I decided to mess with FaceTime. <laughs> you know, I think we should probably talk about Age of Ultron. Um... <laughs> so, um... is, is it, I have to say, yes. I didn't get to the store this week. Did you? Yes and no. I got oh, Yeah, I got there but there wasn't really much there. I like picked up three comics, I read two, and then basically I relied on uh the kindness of strangers and just a shitload of 2000 AD cuz the latest magazine came out digitally and as you oh, know awesome. from last week I just subscribed. So it's like I had a huge it was that and the new 2000 AD and so I'm really kind of in a in a once again, another sort of 2008-ish headspace. But uh, but yeah, I kind of had that moment of like, ugh, I don't really know what we're going to talk about, per se. So, um, yeah, we can talk about Age of Ultron, because I, I don't know about you, but I feel we could easily go two hours with how exceptionally shit Age of Ultron ended up being. Wow. Yeah, talk, talk, about, a, talk about a tenth issue that did not pay off well and i mean it it, it kind of devolved before your eyes right did you have that same sort of feeling like i i i have almost everything about age of ultron issue 10 is kind of spectacularly shit yeah oh my god yeah yeah uh so bad it's actually one of the first books that i've had i've read in like a long time where i was annoyed right down to the level of the lettering like the lettering on the first page, I was like, 
what is this is crazy is, ass. is it when he's thinking in the formula or <laughs> something so weird about that that was so bad i mean it was so i mean it would be one thing if and who knows maybe i'm mistaken and maybe those were actual math formulas but those that, that looked like crap I, I was so curious whether that was an actual math formula so, but you know the other thing that was interesting does the computer lettering not make speech uh, thought balloons look really weird yeah well there's something yeah. really really weird about that for mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. yeah i just but also there was just that dumb, it was such a dumb idea like who was like gonna sit there i mean it'd be one thing maybe honestly there is some sort of abstract math equation that but just the fact that it was the same fucking thing in the second panel too it made hank pym seem like little dot you know what i mean just kind of <laughs> like no but he's, he's just like formula Mm-hmm. Formula. Formula. Right, exactly. Formula, like, does it go formula. anywhere? Like, that's all he's thinking. Mm, formula. Yeah. Formula, it... formula, formula. From squiggly line multiplied <laughs> by, you know, an L and an, a bigger L plus <laughs> equals two triangles. Equals Taco Bell. Yeah, and then in the next panel, it's the exact same fucking thought. I'm like, really? That's just, is like Hank Pym super stoned? Like, the progression of thought there that was just like... Awesome. Also, have you noticed, like, when he, he's just looking at, like, weird random fractal shapes on his monitors? Yes. We could do a panel to panel to, like, <laughs> shit take on Age of Ultra Edition 10, couldn't we? We could, and that oh, way, I have to say, it's man. sort of tempting. It's sort of tempting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are other things to talk about, I suppose, and, and, and slightly larger fish to fry. But I will say, like, by the end of it, and, and this is a spoiler uh, for people who have not read Age of Ultron. Well, spoiler one, it's shit. Spoiler two, uh, the way that it's shit at the end where... Uh, and this is fascinating because... Um, uh, I, I think what you're about to complain about is the thing that when I was emailing you, I was like, this is what I think it does right formula-wise, format-wise. Uh, the two, the, like, okay, th- the, there's a series of epilogues that basically run, like, three pages, and then... Three pages house advert. advert. Three yeah. pages advert, yeah. Yeah, and you think that's that, done that's, well, huh? I think that's, if they're going to do something that bad... I think that's the way to do it, which is here's something that has nothing to do with the rest of the series, and here's where you can read more about it. Here's something that has nothing to do with the rest of the series, and here's where you can read more about it. Like, that works for me. Uh... But, like, that, that is like that is it for what works for me in this issue. But or see... for the, that matter, this series. Yeah, but I mean, okay, my problem, I had a couple of problems, and one of the things that was interesting is, I, I should say, just to come clean here, is I read a uh, copy that a colleague passed on to me direct from Marvel's FTP site, and I also read the digital copy thanks to a code provided by a, uh, a faithful whatnot. So, oh, are are they different? They are different. They are different. The house really? ads drop out in the digital copy. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? So you get the you'll get like the double page spread of Ultimate Spider-Man looking at Galactus. And then instead of having the the ad for the hunger shot, you know, it just goes on to the next page, I think. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because th- there was something about that that reminded me to of, uh, I don't know, I, you know, this is my thing, is, is like when you reach that end of it with that level of like, hey, here's, you know, 
we're leading into something and here's the house ad i really feel like at that point it should be like a free comic book day book or it oh should it be de- a... definitely definitely felt like that mm-hmm. it, it definitely felt like but i seem to remember uh and i could be misremembering didn't fear itself do exactly the same thing you know, didn't fear itself have a final issue where it's like it basically ends up with multiple epilogues for other books Hib said this too, and my my memory of Fear itself is is that it had a number of epilogues, but four characters that were actually in the miniseries. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but to be fair, there were characters in the miniseries as opposed to Age of Ultron, where I mean, what the fuck is Age of Ultron actually about? Well, like, what 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 right. what is the point of Age of Ultron? Right. I I genuinely genuinely don't understand. By the time I finished it, well, uh, yeah, I. I think for people who have listened to us who, you know, I think I think the pe- people who are savvy, whatnots, uh, follow Graham over at Blog at Newsarama, uh, in which case you've probably seen the link to Tim O'Neill's excellent little breakdown of the first nine issues of Age of Ultron. And interestingly enough, even though that piece what, did a fantastic job, I think, of um, sort of talking about the... Age of Ultron's weaknesses, it did sort of give me a key to sort of feel like, oh, I, I almost felt like, how do I put it? I felt like it, there was a key to it in describing what Bendis was trying to do with it. And I really think when he talks about like trying to do a crossover that he compares to like Barton Fink, you know, like you're watching one movie and you really, and it becomes another movie kind of feeling. I'm like, I really do think that if Age of Ultron was like, like its its component form is supposed to be like a Justice League annual from like 1964. You know what I mean? Like there, where it's like the first chapter is a post-apocalyptic story, and you think that's going to be it, and then it's like, but wait a minute, readers, and then you turn the you know switch it, and then it's like a time travel, you know, ethical dilemma story, and then it becomes an alternate reality story, and then it figures ends up as a little bit of cross continuity you know, knit pearl stitching, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the farther you get from that base model, like, as an annual, it would actually, that would be fun. But of course, and as even two or three or four issues of something, like a super compressed kind of narrative where Bendis is like, just when you think you know what you're going to get, it turns into something else. I'm like, okay, that could be interesting. But at the length of 10 issues, it's, it's just unbelievably. It's just flaccid. It's I. I can't think of well, a better adjective for it, really. Okay, so so two things. One, I agree that it could be an interesting idea if done in a different way. Mm-hmm. But the only way it can be an interesting idea is if you still have a story. Right. If you still have a plot that goes from A to B, even if it goes A through the rest of the alphabet to B, sure. and not in order. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Age of Ultron does not have that. You don't Jet- think so? No. Because <laughs> I mean, what, what what is the plot of Age of Ultron? Age of Ultron is Ultron's conquered everything, and the Avengers have to figure out how to stop him, right? And then they figure out how to stop him via. But they don't, because the Avengers die. Wolverine changes the past. We then spend three issues in an alternate timeline, which which have nothing to do with anything. Okay, but and then when it comes back, Wolverine's not even there anymore. Yeah, but okay, but okay. My thing is, is you are, you're changing the rules, Graham. Um, I, I honestly feel that that is the when I say what the A to B is, like all the rest of that shit. I mean, it's badly done, but that is the stuff that's in the C to the D to the E 
steps of the process you know what i mean when you say c to the d for some reason i feel like you're about to bust into like some really bad 1980s rap or something. i felt like that too it's like c to the d to the o to the s you know that spells <laughs> bend us you know i don't know i it's i cdos cdos that does spell cdos i don't know well when you said the 80s it really must have worked on me at some level so i there i don't know i i'm not trying I, I, believe me this it it Age of Ultron is a total, an amazing piece of shit, and I really feel sorry for the people who, who, who spent all the money on it. I, don't, I mean, I'm one of the poor slobs that actually I, read it, but you know. Yeah, I really do. I was thinking that this morning. I was, I was feel really bad for the people who have stuck stuck with this for ten issues mm-hmm. because it's a Marvel event and because it matters. Mm-hmm. Because this book, this series does not matter. I mean, it explicitly does not matter by yeah. issue ten. Everything in the previous nine issues have been undone. Yeah, and and have never happened. Not even have been undone. Well, I mean, have that's explicitly a, never happened. Exactly, exactly. I mean, frankly, by the time you get to, uh, like something like, you know, Infinite Crisis or even Flashpoint, you know, which are the two that I think have to me have a similar feel in terms of like, oh, uh, hey, we're you know we're going to throw a bunch of shit against the wall and there's going to be a lot of new... I mean, I guess you'd have to go back to Brightest Day to be like, okay, you're getting to the end of the event and you're teasing out, you know, basically more events, I suppose, for, like, more money. For the most part, I feel like most of the time you see one of these, like, status quo resets, I'm used to thinking of it via DC, like, at least, you know, the Superboy reality punch was only, like, what, six issues or something like that? You know? Yeah, Infinite Crisis was seven. And the other thing about Infinite Crisis was they kind of cheated. Mm-hmm. Because all the continuity after Infinite Crisis was pretty much the continuity before Infinite Crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All Infinite Crisis really did was reintroduce the multiverse. Uh, right, and bring back Red Hood, I suppose. And bre- Yeah, but you know. even so. But he was he not around before that? And then they just were like this is how he came back yeah this is how they came back so i mean you know admittedly that was i don't think uh, we were planning on that mm, but you know. but but um you know i i find i think what uh, i mean it's definitely flashpoint age of ultron is definitely flashpoint mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh but it's a flashpoint they didn't learn any of the lessons of flashpoint oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. like flashpoint people got then they're like that's five issues of nothing what the fuck right and Age of Ultron is like, hey, five issues, fuck you, we'll do ten. <laughs> we can do ten issues of nothing. We can do ten issues of nothing, and we're going to jump continuities twice. We're going to give you two whole worlds that right. nothing really happens Where in. nothing really happens. Well, and again, I think that I... I how do I get it? I get that weird... Um, it reminds me of a lot of that, that post that uh, Colin wrote in um, Too Busy Thinking About My Comics, where he talks about how, kind of how, how Age of Ultron is too... St- too terrible to be cynical like it's clearly coming from this supposed ter- terrible place of honesty yeah a terrible place of honesty you know and I really do I really did weirdly got that sense that, that by the end of it what Bendis has done with his utter 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 lack of craft is something that he really thought was going to be like uh, um, you know a mega epic about the possibilities of, of, cos- of comic events and really, it's just it's just shit. And I mean, well, and well, and the problem is, and I, I have to mention the other thing here that really bothers me because it sounds like I'm defending this thing. One of the things that I that actively made me 
very close to angry is the idea that like for at least half of Age of Ultron we are basically being told the story with Wolverine as more or less the central protagonist you know he's got the ethical issue he's got the guy who all this stuff sort of resolves on you know his dramatic choices are the ones that spin things pretty much for the second half of the series right and so Mm -hmm. when you get to the scene at the end where you know time is breaking or burping or you know farting or whatever it is and everybody's having those little effects of freaking out even though half of those really didn't seem to make much sense you've got this thing where Wolverine is pretty much you actively see him get you know doubled over in I don't know whatever it is cosmic anguish and then they're just like eh fuck that guy you know what I mean like it's just so cynical like he doesn't come back like they've got all those things of like Hank Pym and Tony Stark talking and moving into like seriously by the end of it like I don't I I mean it's very safe to say I never cared about Angela but especially taking three pages to bring in Angela at the end of that storyline um, as opposed to like what the fuck is happening with Wolverine really is this idea of like you know what we don't how do I put it like we don't really care about any of these characters we really yeah. honestly genuinely do not care you know it, it's kind of fast the Angela reveal is hilariously bad mm-hmm. um, because if Marvel had not already told you that Angela was a big deal mm-hmm. and you know people just came to this they'd right. be like what they would not be excited. They'd honestly be like, is this an advert for an entirely different book? Is this part of the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there is that thing of like, um, I, you know, I was, I was just sort of like shooting the breeze with Hibs the other day, but I'm like, sort of like, okay, like you, uh, what, what's a weird angle on this? Even something like, um, although they didn't do this right either, but like in House of M, you know, where like all the energy is like, released from the mutants there's the no more mutants and then all the energy ends up on that postal guy who goes berserk and ends up punching people on the moon you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah right you know it's like that sort of makes sense to me as a as a like if you're going to introduce a bigger threat as a result of your event the idea of having it come naturally out of the event makes a lot of sense so it's like if like ultron explodes and everyone's like hooray and the new cosmic threat is you know, Ultron, like uh, Annihilus finding the Ultron armor or something like that and merging with it or some shit. But but Angela, I mean, there's no sense of who she is. You know what I mean? She's just nothing. It's, and it's I, completely generic. She yeah. could have been any character. Any character. And I have to say, it was really, although she was identifiable as her, it was a really underwhelming, like couple of pages like you know just like there's you know there she's she's there and she's grabbing onto the head of you know something that you assume she ripped the head off of but who knows she could just be hanging out with a giant disembodied cosmic muppet head she she could just be flying on the head right it kind of looks like it i mean there's just no real sense of of who this person is and and they're just talking gobbledy shit like that last panel or whatever where it's whoever did this to me I'm coming for you. No, I'm coming to end you. I'm coming to end you. Like, what kind of bullshit is that? I mean... Oh, but that's that's Bendis bullshit. Oh, like, that is That is classic Bendis dialogue. It is, but I mean, that's... The, I guess that's that thing of, like, I and just does it don't... not make you excited to see Neil Gaiman and Bendis team up on this character? Oh, fucking shit. Dude, what do you think really happened with this? I mean, I, th- this would be awesome Gaiman, as a way to... Gaiman like... gave them Angela, quite clearly. 
gave slash sold, do you think, or what? Oh, I'm sure he got some money for it. But yeah. I, I hope he got a shit ton of money, you know? Oh, I, I doubt he got a shit ton. I'm sure he got something. See, that, that's where I'm like, he's Neil Gaiman. Like, why would they be like, hey, Neil, like, I'll take you out to dinner at the Shake Shack, you know? No, he's like, I, hey, I, quite Angela. Be- I quite believe that this is a, he did feel bad about Marvel Man not being as simple as they thought. I kind of And he was so like, too. oh, look, why, look, I'm not doing anything with Angela. Right. Yeah, I think he, I think he did as well. I think they really thought that he would be sort of their point person for like getting Alan Moore to sort of unlock his end of the rights. And I think Neil Gaiman, who is an exceptionally diplomatically savvy guy, basically at whatever stage it was, was like, hey, you know what? Uh, Alan Moore said something in such a way that I know he'll never talk to me again if I pursue this. So this isn't going to happen. And yeah, I kind of feel like it's funny. I thought this was my this was my theory. No, I no, I I know. I but I'm th- yeah. <laughs> but no, I I have come around to your theory. Is what I'm saying. Mm, I see. Okay. Well, that's good. That's I. I mean, it's good for my fragile ego, of course. But uh, I don't know. No, it's I, just. Mm. I was I was actually kind of surprised. I was both surprised and unsurprised that Marvel now totally seems to own Angela. I, I guess too. I I, wa- I wasn't really surprised uh, once people started talking about Angela being in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, yeah. But but I was. But it still feels weird that Marvel have been saying we're using Angela as opposed to we now own Angela. Right. Well, who knows? Maybe those things shifted. I mean, because the weird thing is, is for me, and this is going to sound this going to sound kind of odd. But I really think they had that point of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, something must have happened behind the scenes. Like, it, it must have happened the, the other way around. But I just think, because at first I was like, I thought it was kind of, that A, they would have to be licensing Angela from Gaiman, but B, that it would be really weird that they would do so. Because if, if there's anybody who's, like, really sort of... Um, learned you would think the mistake of mixing uh, you know your own IP with like um, you know licensed IP like everyone you know like anyone wants to see Rom the Space Knight yeah Yeah, exactly Marvel would know that that's a mistake that you don't do that so I was kind of like I don't can't imagine how this was going to work but um, that was why the Angela thing was always a really weird story yeah from the very announcement, it was like, huh, you're using someone else's character. Yeah. Okay. And I think at that point, everyone sort of suspects, does that mean they've bought Angela? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because it just seemed so weird that they'd be like, no, we're licensing her, but we're putting her in the Marvel Universe. Right. Exactly. It was a really weird thing. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. And so, I, I mean, it, it turns out, I guess, that, yeah, Angela belongs to Marvel. Wow. I, and that's great because, I don't know, I'm... The, I'm if Neil Gaiman got money for it, good for him. Because let's face it, Marvel could have created any fucking character to plug in there. Because no one cares about Angela. Well, see, that's it. No one cares about Angela except... Except I sort of see where they're getting at. For, at least for me, I kind of have that thing of like... It's... It, I don't know. It, you know, there's there's really no other way... You know, it's like... It's a way of grabbing attention. Like, honestly, the idea that come Guardians of the Galaxy time that they can talk about the fact that it features a character created by Neil Gaiman is going to be a big marketing deal for that. I I don't doubt. 
is it? Or, uh, I mean, not to us, movie? not to you and me, but you know. No, no, I, but that's what know. I mean. Like, but but that's what I was going to say. I feel it's going to be a more of a marketing thing to you and me than it is to your average Joe moviegoer. See, I don't think. I that really, I, I. You really think they're going to be like, hey, we've we've got this character created by Neil Gaiman, you know, the guy who did Sandman and some fancy books that sold well. The fantasy books sold really, really well, man. They sold really well. I honestly think that Neil, like, Neil Gaiman, in terms of, like, what he, you know, he's not quite at, um, you know, George R.R. R. Martin status or something like that. I don't, you know, like, I mean, or, or um, the, the woman who wrote this, the Suki Stackhouse books, but, you know, but his name recognition is up there. That guy sells a lot of books, and he's very... He's he's really easy. To, he's really really marketable with a certain demographic, specifically women that I think um, Marvel wants to keep keep figuring out how to corral in to yeah, their movies. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I honestly think, think Angela is the way to do that. I don't know. I'd... To people who don't know who Angela is, yes, I guess what they're going to know is they're going to go. Oh, they'll be like, oh, Neil Gaiman. You know, they're probably going to be like, she's going to be some sort of you know independent book reading cat lover, and boy, are they going to be surprised. So you know, exactly. Oh, oh, she's not. Oh, oh, that. Wait, when does the Neil Gaiman character come in? <laughs> oh, oh, that. Oh, that's her. <laughs> Oh, okay. That that wasn't what I was expecting at all. She just sheared the head off of Annihilus and then Star-Lord put like $20 in her G-string. That's a new Gaiman character? I'm a little confused. You were dead silent about that. I'm like, that that visual's great. Come on. (laughs) Honestly, my thought was, yeah, and James Gunn is going to be doing the movie. Oh, yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. Like, Like James Gunn doing... James Gunn's female characters meeting what you're selling as like the Neil Gaiman demographic just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Oh, I'm not saying there won't be riots in the movie theater, Graham, but it'll be a big first weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. The opening weekend, the riots are entirely secondary. Entirely secondary. Um... Yeah, anyway, but the Angela thing... So yeah, so I was actually really bothered by this whole thing of like fucking, like, Wolverine is this character that it's, you're supposed to, like, was a character in your story and you just discarded him in the most casual, over, like, it's not even mentioned, you're not even giving a tie-in to whatever little special Wolverine event that you're going to do, you know? Well, that's because there's not going to be a special Wolverine event tied into this. Uh, like, they're they're done with Wolverine, is the thing. Man. What, what you mean, you think they're done with Wolverine because of because of various other, like, because of the movie stuff? Or do you mean just... No, 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 they're done with Wolverine because, I mean, right now, Paul Cornell is going to be doing his, his big Wolverine story. And that's going to be taking up the Wolverine juice for the next few months. Oh, oh. And it's not about Fallout from this thing, then? No, 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 no. No, what, no, not at all. <laughs> it's, it's the, um, it's the one, it's the thing that ties in with the plot from the movie. Even though everyone is, for some reason, pretending that's not the case. <laughs> Right, right. So, so in other words, okay, but it's this this idea that that Wolverine gets his healing power like removed, and they're going to yes. have that happen in the movie. And aren't they yes. using the Age of Ultron at the same time? Uh huh. No, I, I think I I maybe it is regarding Age of Ultron. I don't think it is. I think it's just something spinning out of Cornell's own comic. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I think... Because I... here's the thing, if it was spinning out of mm-hmm. Age of Ultron, I genuinely think we would have seen an epilogue with him being right. like, I've cut myself shaving. What? Why am I... <laughs> you know, I you would have, you would have seen three pages, and then it would be like, you know, October, Wolverine, paper cuts. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, I, I don't think it's anything to do with Age of Ultron at all. Wow. Wow. So okay. yeah, so yeah, they're they're done with Wolverine. Wolverine wow. came in because Brian Bendis can't understand the concept of someone else time traveling and doing a really bad thing. <laughs> because his his entire read on Wolverine, and you can see this in all the interviews he does, mm-hmm. is there's a guy who acts first and thinks later because he just thinks about the end, not about the not about his consequences. Fuck mm-hmm. Wolverine. He's just an action guy. He's a doer, and that that. <laughs> That's his take on Wolverine. And you know what's amazing is he's probably written tons of Wolverine by he's, this point. He's written hundreds of issues of Wolverine at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Oh, and I have to say, like, I've not been following um, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man at all, but those three pages or whatever, like the two pages of him before you get to the double-page spread, maybe it's only one page, I was like... Bendis has written this character, hasn't he? Like, it really was, like, the most amazingly generic, awkward, like, Spider-Man dialogue kind of stuff. Did did you think, was it just me? Like, I was really, like... It, no, what what I, I... I agree, but what really bothered me about it was there was nothing that made that not Peter Parker, I guess. Yeah, that's the other thing, is, is, like, I was like, this is really awkward. Like, really, really awkward in terms of, yeah, it, right down to the, looks like I'm finally getting hang of the, ooh, ah, my butt, you know, kind of thing. Like, I was like, huh, that's that's really shitty, you know? I, I just was kind of kind of nonplussed by... I mean, do you follow the Ultimate Spider-Man, or is it just too expensive these days for you? I I, I gave up. I, I keep meaning to get them out of the library, and then not. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I'll add to my library list. And then I'm like, ah, uh, you know, there's there's countless other things I could read instead. Right, right. In, in part because I was really let down by the first storyline of the Miles Morales. Oh, really? How so? I mean, just yeah. the fact that it was so slow, or was there stuff in particular? It was so slow, and it was so... It was simultaneously on the nose with Luke. This guy's different from Peter, without actually making the character significantly different. Mm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like, look, he's in a school lottery. He, both of his parents are around. This is crazy. How can this guy be Spider-Man? And then, like, you get to his personality, and you're like, so he's kind of a nerd, like Peter Parker. He's he's pretty much, he's pretty much your Spider-Man from before this, right. but he's black. Right. Right. I have to say, Graham, seriously, if Marvel was serious about their their AR program uh, at all, uh, they should, like, hire you so that, like, you can just put the AR on the panel and just get audio of you being, like, pitching basically the panel or their story point in that thing, because it really is great. How can he be Spider-Man? What's going on? It's just the best. Oh, can we take it aside? Uh, moment for now to talk about the spectacular comic book resources uh, review of H. Voltron issue 10, and in particular the opening paragraph, which everyone on Twitter was making fun of yesterday. Yes, please do. D- did you read it? I I didn't. I actually read the one that that, uh, that I thought was pretty well done that you pointed... Was that the Newsarama one? Yeah, yeah the Newsarama one, which I thought was actually pretty good. 
Okay, here's the here's the opening paragraph of the Age of Ultron <laughs> review from Comic Book Resources. Are you ready? Yes. Age of Ultron has been a wild, dizzying, and unpredictable roller coaster ride that has careened across the world through time into multiple alternate realities and back. With Age of Ultron 10, writer Brian Michael Bendis brings this continuity bending tour to a satisfying and mind blowing conclusion. Here's my, here's my question Doesn't that sound like PR? I mean, I'm not even being snarky. No, Does no, that no, 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 no. Like something that would be in a press release about this comic. I, I, I was going to say that honestly, genuinely sounds like the solicits. You know. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it got four and a half stars out of five mm-hmm. in comic book resources, which means this person thinks this is one of the best comics ever published. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Four and a half stars out of five. That's almost a perfect score. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here are other parts. Of this, the review, and you you tell me how it managed to get four and a half out of five. Sure. Previous Age of Ultron issues might have induced plenty of cases of mental whiplash and multi-dimensional motion sickness, but Bendis stays on track for the final chapter, focusing on story points previously established and staying with them as they play out. First of all, Jeff, does that sound like the comic you read? Honestly, Graham, I think I blacked out there. Can you read that again? <laughs> Previous Age of Ultron issues might have induced plenty of cases of mental whiplash and multidimensional motion sickness, but Bendis stays on track for the final chapter, focusing on story points previously established and staying with them as they play out. That 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 I would have to say that there there's not one single point of that that is not inaccurate, don't you think? Like that's inaccurate yeah, in no, the first no, part no. and the second part. Exactly. The early pages of this issue are actually reprinted from that original story in Avengers 12.1, uh, with a few important tweaks. What might seem like a cheap ploy to pad out the page count, however, <laughs> is actually a welcome reminder of how the series began in the first place. With the origins of the storyline now restated to all readers, the sequence nicely sets up the rest of the issue as it rolls towards its conclusion. Wow. However, with a team of artists, remember, 4.5 out of 5, uh, 4.5 stars out of 5 stars. Okay? Right. Yeah. Almost perfect mark. Yeah, almost perfect. However, with a team of artists as nearly as numerous as any given NFL team's offensive line, there's an inconsistency that always comes with a roster of diverse pers- pencilers. For example, Brian Hitch and Paul Neary's typically clean and detailed look is a jarring transition from Alex Maleev's darker and grittier style. It's not unforgivable, as all of the artists are amongst the industry's best. In fact, this kind of collaboration has largely become the norm for exercise issues. But there's an artistic switch every several pages, and it's a disruption that's akin to a case of the hiccups. It happens just often enough to be an annoyance. Despite that, four and a half stars... Out of five. Dude, an annoyance. Does it make sense? You can go down from 100 to a 90 as an annoyance. I mean, you used to grade papers, right, Graham? While Ben just wraps up the story admirably, it's the pleasantly lengthy epilogue where minds and comic shops everywhere will ultimately be blown. Spoilers abound regarding the return of an otherwise unexpected character story's end. Ladies and gentlemen, Really, if that's meant to be Angela, they fucking did a press release about it two months ago. I think it, maybe they mean Galactus, I guess. I, I, I'm guessing they mean Galactus. But there are plenty of other surprises. Amongst them, the extent, the extent of damage to the fabric of reality caused by Wolverine's time hopping, an extent that might reach further than many might expect. 
bet this pulls off the kind of way cool surprises that can bring forth the inner 12 year old of anyone who calls themselves a Marvel fan yeah I have to yeah, say this you, really you, does you call yourself like... a yeah you call yourself a Marvel fan don't you I oh I do I do yeah and so uh, uh, did your inner 12 year old get pulled out sort of yeah I I would say I I definitely <laughs> felt something leave my body while reading the comic book round so it's it's quite possible that it was my inner 12. Oh, oh, so so what you're saying is it, it, it acts as an exorcism for your inner 12. Yeah, I would have to say, <laughs> exactly. My inner 12-year-old has not been seen since that day. So, uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it did. I definitely I definitely felt something. Yeah, I can definitely say I, I, that yeah, something was I will now finish. I will now finish this review. <laughs> and there's, there's three words here that you might go, wait, this is a review, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, just tell me if you know what they are, and if not, I'll point them out when I'm done. Okay. That's the magic of this story's final chapter. The usual arguments can be made about the typical continuity altering storyline regarding its marketing-driven origins, decompressed manner of storytelling, and event-driven versus character-driven plot. But critical commentary aside, Bendis has successfully done what every comic publisher and creator can and should strive for. He's made the story's end plain and simple fun that evokes a kind of childlike wonderment. Oh my God. Now... First of all, it really it's it's almost like a joke, right? Yeah. I mean, it really genuinely is. I'm appalled by this review. But Jeff, critical commentary aside, in a review, <laughs> does he not understand what a review is? Well, I I I, I mean, I I don't want to have an opinion here. Right. I, I mean, why why should we be critical about this comic? <laughs> I, I, you know, let's put that to one side. I, that, that's just pointless. Why? No. And let's just face it. This is like this is possibly the greatest comic ever published. It's right. amazing. I mean, look, look at the colors. Look at that ink <laughs> on that page. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! Look, this must have taken them hours to do. Oh man! <laughs> I, oh, I hate that review so much. But um, on the plus side, he also reviewed Superior Spider-Man this month, meaning for the first time in his CPR reviewing history, he has given a comic less than four stars out of five. Wow. Wow. Uh, the, the funniest thing about that review is the comments section. As you know, I always tell people not to read the comments, but someone actually sent me to the comments for this, <laughs> uh, this particular thing, and I saw why. First comment, are you fucking kidding me? Four and a half stars? This was horrible. Second comment. So I take a Marvel owns or at least funds this site. Third comment. This reads like a press release. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the bit at the end where all the actual points for criticism and review are glossed over and dismissed in the name of fun. Good job, PR. This actually motivated me to register. <laughs> This review is an insult to the, my intelligence and the intelligence of most of the people who read this site. <sighs> Welcome to the Marvel propaganda machine. Did this dude actually read the series? Oh, man. Wow. So, well, that's... I'm really relieved to hear that other people... Of course, I am sort of... I mean, it. I, the thing that strikes me is... And I don't read these things, these things you call reviews, but it really did read... It um, read like PR, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it really—I've never really read or heard something that sounded so much like someone trying to like 
like if you were trying to actively get a job writing like i said the the previews press text for for upcoming marvel books i mean it feels like that's the only thing they've read as far as like oh sure i read about comics all the time like previews a to z you know it's it's just yeah, really... it's it's kind of amazing it's like it was a review written for the express purpose of getting quoted on the back of the collection ooh oh yeah that's uh that's actually pretty cynical and and on point too well i'm just curious does this guy i mean I don't really want to turn into this into a, a witch hunt, but is this guy on Twitter? Have people like actually come to him and said like, "What? What are you? What were you thinking?" I, I have this? I have no idea. He's not showed up in the comments, but you know, to be fair, I never show up in the comments of my segment. <laughs> that is true. Either. Um, yeah, I have I have no idea. I don't know if he's on Twitter or not. Wow, 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 wow. I I floated the theory yesterday on Twitter that he was a fake account, that it was a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. But just because, like at that point, all of his reviews were four or above stars out of five. And, were and they I, I, all for Marvel and I books was, or no, no, no. The Superman on Chains as well was four and a half out of stars. Four and a half out of five. Uh, and part, part of me was like, is this like a pseudonymous account created to give the blowjob reviews? Right. You know, is this Alan Smithy for the the books that they have to give a positive review to? Right. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. And, and then no, but well, then David Brothers is like, no, he's written other places. Oh really? It, it's a real guy. Yeah. Oh, um, here is from the same comments thread uh, someone summing up someone called Chris McFeely summing up what Age of Ultron it, the last issue is and I kind of love this for the last line it is exactly the ending that you would expect from a post-apocalyptic future time travel story to have it is not and never was in any way unpredictable or dizzying it's as by the numbers a story could be with the added problem of an exceptionally drawn out first act they go back they stop it from happening Things go back to normal. The end. Also, here is a girl from Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. As I recall, that's what happened in Lost in the fourth season. Uh, wasn't it Tiffany that popped up? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany. Mm. What are the other names? I remember, like when the, when Angela first came back, I actually looked up what the names of the other. It was like Tiffany and Bethany and someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the most hilarious names. Uh, let's see if I can find this really quickly or not. I can't. God damn it. Ah. Uh, there you go. Someone, someone else can look up. I'm pretty sure it's like Tiffany and Bethany and Angel, which is just yeah. hilarious. It's like really, that's the names of the angels. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Age of Ultron issue ten is appalling. Appalling. <laughs> A- so appalling. It's it's absolutely fucking dire. It's the comic for people who read uh, Flashpoint and thought that too much happened in it. It's 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 horrendous. It's oh, it's oh, I oh, Jeff, this comic was so 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 bad. I can't believe that people have actually spent at least forty dollars if they bought the issues. I mean, how much? I don't even know how much you, how many crossovers there were. Let's say conservatively seventy dollars if they bought every issue of, of Age of Ultron. Right. Right. Well, I mean that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Horrible. <laughs> I just like the idea that you're going to end up on the back of the book. Um, yes, with the blurb. Age of Ultron is a Pauline. So you know it's it's. <laughs> The way you accentuated it, I'm like, oh, you tricky devil. You know, you're going to end up there. Is A plus Pauling equals exactly, Pauling? Because yes. Pauling is, is old English for plus. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Little known fact just, there. Uh, and the worst part is, like, you know, I've gone off on this, and I know I'm going to get emails from people who work at Marvel going, it's not that bad, really. It is. It is. This is just terrible. Yeah, it I is appreciate really bad. you wanting to stick up for your publisher and everything. It's terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, it really was, like, having gone through all of it. The thing that's really a shame is um, it it actually weirdly ended up resulting in two of my more favorite Marvel comics of the year, I would have to say, in that um, Al Ewing's uh, two issues of Avengers Assemble that tie into it. You yeah, know? Are, which are amazing. Yeah, are, are really, really good stuff. So there's part of me that's like, ah, uh, you know. It's, it's almost worth it. Yeah, exactly. Except, of course, it in no way is. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's, that, that, that really was kind of uh, dire from. St- the I, other I, thing I, is, I, is I, that it really wasn't surprising at all. I mean, part of that is no, kind of. No, n- none of, nothing surprised in this, which is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Like abs- Actually, that's not true. Uh, Ultron's dialogue when he realized he had a virus was surprising. Was surprisingly hilariously lame. What was it? You have altered my coding! You are attempting to deprogram me by reprogramming me? Father, you must know that I've made numerous advances to my system since it gave birth to me. I'm decoding your code as you upload it. I'm closing the back door as you open it. You anger me. You insult me. It's hilarious! You expected him halfway to be like, I am buffering. I am buffering. <laughs> it really did. I did. I remember reading that stuff and, and just being like, okay, like, it's kind of that weird, like, Bendis doesn't know anything about tech or Bendis really thinks that we oh, don't shit, know anything about tech. Oh, shit, he actually does say buffering. <laughs> he does. He does, doesn't he? You're adding buffered codes to my infrastructure? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. Also, I love the idea that like they're uploading a virus that takes so long. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like how did they actually upload the virus? That was my other question. Like, how did that actually work? I don't. I don't know. I don't know because there's that weird thing of like Tony, you have to do this, and it's like Tony. yes, you have you have to upload this into his primary program. <laughs> if Tony has access to his primary program, why can't he do anything else? Exactly. Like, why did he have access to his primary program? You kind of want to like go. Brian, you know this isn't how computers work, right? Yeah, maybe maybe we missed the part where Iron Man's plugging his, like, DSL modem line into the back of Ultron or something. That's the only thing I can come up with. Uh, it was just... I, uh, it was terrible. It, it was bad. Uh, it was, just... it was so, it was and so also, bad. I, I love the idea that the start of the issue is Hank Pym sending, like, getting future from previous Hank Pym, and he's like, you, you should really take care of Ultron. Why don't you create some codes? And Hank Pym's like, I never thought of that! <laughs> I've had this homicidal robot like genociding all over the fucking world and I never thought what if I write a virus no 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 I no, never, no, no I never thought that no no no, 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 no. Then... to be fair to be fair my understanding is and, and I could be totally wrong on this but what happens is that is a video from Hank Pym in the past before Hank Pym is mind wiped telling the present Hank Pym not so much to write the code but to let him know that he is actually built in the back door into Ultron and he now has to create the code that will allow the flaw in the system to be exploited. But here's the thing. 
<laughs> Ultron at this point has been recreated so many times. Oh, yeah. So many times. Yeah. So you're telling me at no point Ultron's been like, oh, I should really check that first code I was created with. Oh, to say, to say nothing of all the other times where, like, Ultron has, like, apparently, like, you know, turned Tony Stark inside out, where he's, like, conquered he the rest Stark of the planet. He turns into a woman. Right. Turns, like, <laughs> turns her I, I, into I, I, a woman. Point. Right, exactly. And everyone's there, like, should we break out the video yet? No, not yet, not yet. You know? <laughs> like, mm. but, but the other crazy thing is, Ultron at this point, I don't even know what Ultron is. Oh, exactly. Because Ultron can't be a computer code unless... Because he's, he's been in so many different places. Like, mm. and he, he can't be an operating system as such. Unless he somehow always uploads himself and has the, had the ability to do so. Sure. Because my understanding was Ultron was destroyed and then Ultron got rebuilt a shitload of time. And it was actually a different Ultron. So does that mean every single time that happened until Ultron started taking care of uploading himself again? Mm-hmm. That he always built in that back door, and if he always built in the back door, does that mean he was continually mind wiping himself? I don't. I don't think Ultron was. Wait, Pym or Ultron? Wait, was Pym continually? Oh, I see. Right, right, mind wiping right. himself because every single time Ultron got rebuilt, right, he had the same. But because I'm sure mm-hmm. that the first Ultron actually got destroyed, and I that's why right. you had like Ultron two through five. Right. Exactly. They, they get built through, like, and then it's, like, 7 through 13 or whatever it is. I don't yeah. I don't know. That's actually a really good like, point, actually. Like, that, it doesn't work. Right. Exactly. And then by the time you've got Ultron beaming himself from one side of the universe to the other, like, so he can appear in uh, Annihilation. Yes. Where he then, you know, merges with all these different robots, who you think, again, would be like, wait, you've got this weird code in you. That makes no sense. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, yeah. the code didn't exist then, so you can't do it. And then, like, he beams himself back. He takes over Tony Stark's body. Right. Like, at what point, what is Ultron? Right. Like, the idea of a backup code doesn't work at all. <laughs> it's one of those things that works purely because they're like, okay, let's hope nobody notices this makes absolutely no sense. Well, yes no, man. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm no computer guy, but, like, let's let's say that he's, like, you know, there's machines that are running today off of, like, my understanding is, is like, the same sort of, you know, modified like Linux Unix kernel that was invented way back when, right? Like so in theory there sure, could be but some again, thing. at no point Yes. At no point has that have those machines, you know, protected themselves into someone's mind and changed that person's gender and possessed them. Cram, you what I'm you saying, never owned a Newton. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is at some point Ultron isn't actually a robot. Yes. He he he's a something that has a robot body. Right, right, exactly. So the idea that like he has code that they can basically undo Ultron mm-hmm. makes no sense. <laughs> it's it's one of those things. It's just like, the, and then you cut to Hank Pym being like, "I can't stop thinking about it, Tony. I can't stop." And you're like, "Have you just realized that it makes no sense?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you just realized that what you've actually done? like only works in the same way that like Avengers vs. X-Men only really works if you're like so Phoenix came down and had Jean Grey and Jean Grey died and now Phoenix is back for the first time like you have to forget everything that happens in like the 20 year- years between right there's well, Phoenix and, and, that's and I think it. this I think Age of Ultron again only really works if you're like Ultron was created and he was a robot 
and then he became a homicide ro- robot and took over the world. And there, you know, all those Ultrons in between. Nah, no, forget about that. Yeah, no, I I agree. In fact, the the part that actually really did make me sad, like you know, the joke about the twelve year old aside, but that that one panel where where Hank Pym's like a- after reality has done its thing because the space time continuum's been been damaged or whatever. He's like he says something like it really it's a miracle that we're still in a, you know, linear functioning, you know, consistent time continuum. And I was like that is not how I've thought of the Marvel universe in a long 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 it's time. It's a cohesive linear reality. And what is hilarious is he says that next to a beast who doesn't look like the beast has looked in over ten years, <laughs> and I couldn't work like I can't work out if that's a joke because like he's saying it and something is very clearly wrong. <laughs> that or, would be awesome if it's if like no one caught. And you think someone like it has to be a joke, right? There's no way that no one got that. That's not what the beast has looked like for more than ten years, right? Right. I don't. I don't think the beast was consistent in. I don't think I'm not sure any of the characters were consistent in the way they were drawn throughout the issue, frankly. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's surprising, you know. It was just, uh... but also I love that Ben just tries to explain away the plot point that makes no sense by having someone say it makes no sense. Which part is that? When the Beast is like, "Why now? We've altered the space-time continuum before." Oh yeah, and then right. Hank is just like this might have been one time too many. Yes, exactly. He's like, look, just stop asking. Things just broke, okay? They yeah. just, just they, these things. Time breaks all. You know, it. We just one time travel trip too many. I'm sorry. You know, it 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 just happened. You know what these? You know what time space continuums are like. Weirdly, so that's, again, that's the only down. one I was really able to give it a gimme. Like I'm like, okay, things work, and then they stress out, and then you break them, and they don't work. Anymore. I'm like, as somebody that spent far too many years jumping up and down on a bed, I get that. I really do. But I don't know. I'm. I, but it's just, it really ended up being. It's, pray to God. So is this the last event from Pendus? Is there any word? Has he said something like, oh, this is the last one? I mean, you know, he sort of made it sound like he was leaving Avengers, of course. Um, but. Well, he did leave Avengers. <laughs> I, well, sure, exactly. Until I, you know, <laughs> deadly For now, I'm just saying I don't trust him what not to come back. My, I guess my point is, is that as he said that he left Avengers and ostensibly left Avengers, is was this his like farewell to the event comic? Considering he's written so many of Marvel's events over the last what five to seven years. To be cynical, let's see how Infinity does. Mm. I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that if Fear itself had been more successful mm-hmm. and more critically acclaimed, we would see Fraction doing more events. Right. And Age of Ultron might have just been like a short miniseries in and of itself. I see. Um, I think if Infinity doesn't do well, which at this point kind of seems unimaginable, mm-hmm. uh, then I wouldn't be surprised if we see another Bendis event. Hmm. Because, I mean, let's face it, Age of Ultron did, did the business as far as selling comics. Man. It, the, the quality might not be there, but, you know, for the love of God, it sold a shit ton of comics. Well, and this is the thing that's interesting to me, but I, I think really just because of the benefit of double shipping, right? Uh, I think I think it definitely, that definitely helps. Yeah. I think the fact that basically they got the whole thing done in four months. 
right. um, was very much in its favor. I think that if it had been monthly, the sales would have taken a nosedive. Right. I mean that. But that's but my at the same thing. time, I I don't know. I don't know how the sell through has been. Well, of course, the sell through is always important. But I mean, and I think that's it. Part of how they. But Marvel doesn't really care about the sell through, really. You know, in in that sense. Well, I mean, it, I guess... it shoots in the sense of it will need to it'll need to keep up the sell through if they want to keep the orders up. That's what I I used to think that about Marvel, but frankly, looking at the way that they were able to force, because I honestly think that they forced Avengers versus X Men sales. You know what I mean? Like I think after I think after Fear itself and and how badly it generally did and how poor the sell-through was, I think retailers were like, we're not on board for Avengers versus X-Men, and Marvel incentivized the holy living shit out of it. Like, to the point where I just think that most retailers were like, oh, I don't even... You know, I think they, they... I don't even have to sell these comics. Right, I mean, like, I'm getting paid... Like, I'm literally having, like, triple my order of Avengers versus X-Men number one shipped to me free, you know, kind of numbers you know I, I it really does seem to me that there that there's a, a level to which but I, I do think that age of Ultron was this brilliant maneuver of you know we we're not worried about the sell through we you know we just have to make sure that it looks like the numbers are staying high but but to have people order books on a three month window and ship ten issues in four months it's absurd to think like who you know, no re- a retailer would have to like have a magic mind to be able to do anything close to to you know accurate ordering for even what a third of those books. You know, I mean, it's so it really is. A, I'm just curious because there's a way in which I'm I'm fascinated by the way in which we're, we walk out of Age of Ultron being like, well, Marvel sold a shit ton of books, as opposed to Fear itself, where I think everyone sort of sees it as. Um, a loss and a flop, but but you know, looking at it quality wise, like Fear itself had all the various same components in the sense of, oh, this is supposed to be a big event. Oh, there's going to big things, big things happening in it. Oh, and it matters. You know, all that stuff sort of got you know dealt around the same way. It just flopped. You know what I mean? So I'm just trying to figure out, like, because because honestly, the Age of Ultron makes Fear itself look pretty good by comparison, you know? It makes Fear itself look coherent, if nothing else. Right, exactly. Which, I, you know, like some of the stuff that I was complaining about in Fear itself, I'm like, I don't know, you know, Fear itself really was pretty pretty crappy, I think. But... No, but you remember with Fear itself, we were complaining, like, you know, the artistic continuity isn't really here. They're running, and then they don't end up anywhere. Like, right. compare that with Age of Ultron, where it's like, wait, what happened to your point of view character for the last four issues? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, why was this person even here? Like, what was the thing with Invisible Woman? Was there a reason, like, she was around? Like, apart from she turns invisible? Like, remember how it was kind of played up in the in the previews? Like, an unexpected ally sides with Wolverine? You know, yeah, but the the solicits for Age of Ultron have been uh, deservedly torn apart on the internet. <laughs> uh, well, no, because because the solution uh, solicits include like questions that were literally never raised or answered in the story itself. Really? Yeah, the Ooh. the one it's it's the Age of Ultron issue eight solicit. I think mm-hmm. it's the one that has a like, what is you know who is and it's something that just never happened. <laughs> 
awesome. <laughs> who is the mysterious figure who is Galactus's lover? Question mark. Hang on, I'm seeing if I can find it. <laughs> I love the pause because you're like, who is that? I'm going to say it's Wolverine. No, I, I'm looking. Let's see. The biggest secret is, is Solicitor Fisher 10. Um, no, that's that's just the very secret one. Can I not find the Solicitor Fisher 8? That's particularly annoying. With the Marvel Universe turned to inside out, mm -hmm. who will take responsibility for breaking the world? <laughs> like, that never happened! And is there any way to put it back? Wait till you see who is in charge of the New World Order and how they got there. I mean, that theoretically happened. A reality, that's what it is. A reality-spanning choice has made this issue that will affect the Marvel Universe for years and years to come. <laughs> and and there wasn't. Wow. Now, arguably, the choice around that plot point is when Wolverine decides to go back in time again, but that happens in issue 9. Right. There is, there is no reality-spanning choice. Oh, comics. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, the, don't go by the solicits for, for these things because they're wrong. Right. Right. Well, okay, so, Graham, um, I'm bored, so let's talk about something else. <laughs> Can I very quickly uh, take the piss out of another Marvel comic that came out yesterday, which is Uncanny Avengers? Please do. I don't know if you know this, mm -hmm. but Uncanny... You remember when um, the... Um, please don't call me a mutant thing happens in Uncanny Avengers yes do you remember the Rick Remender was uh, shall we say given a hard time on the internet because of that yes if you were Rick Remender and you wanted to take that experience and work it into the story itself how would you go about that Jeff oh I don't no, I if I were Rick Remender, see the thing that's great is I remember that Rick Remender lashed out, said a bunch of really kind of um, uh, over the top hyperbolic, unpleasant things. Then afterwards, cooled down and and then recanted and apologized for overreacting. So I'm going to say that it's going to involve someone being shot into space and or uh, being forced to explode, basically. Oh, oh, I, if only you were a recommender. Because what he actually did was he took three pages out of the latest issue of Uncanny Avengers to have the characters have that discussion in the most ridiculous straw-managed fashion imaginable. Oh, no, really? Listen to you, Sunfire. Mutants. This mutants that. Us versus them. That is exactly what Alex was talking about before my brother attacked. Exactly why we can find a common ground. We'll always be humans to you. Always something different. But your thinking is more involved. Is that right, Simon? You don't see me as a mutant? I see you as a man. A rude man, but a man. <laughs> Alex was asking us to consider seeing one another as the same thing. People. Garbage. I love them to death, but Alex went in public and told mutants to hide, to be ashamed of who they are. Alex is not ashamed. He was asking people to judge him based on how he uses his powers, not how he got them. And I get it. I'll never understand why your gifts frighten people more than mine or Reed Richards or Spider-Man's. What do you think, Wanda? That, by the way, is just one panel. <laughs> oh, my God. I really was. I was like, wow, that page is... Oof, I hope we're not getting all three of them. Really? Holy yes. shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. The theory that overlooks the major differences between being born a mutant and being born into a religion 
Religion is steeped in cultural traditions, steep, uh, shared ancestry, shared values, and more importantly, shared faith. Being a mutant doesn't. It's merely the delivery system as superpower, and that's really the only thing any of us universally share in common. But beyond that distinction, no, I don't think the conditions of birth that a person has no control over should be what we use to characterize one another. You overlooked one thing all mutants share, persecution. No one group owns persecution, Rogue. But telling any group not to be proud of who they are, Alex didn't tell anyone not to be proud of whom he or she is. Don't extrapolate your version. Listen and speak to what the man actually said. He was asking people to see a person first and to not judge anyone based on any one trait. Wanting to be evaluated by what one does rather than how one is born. Was being white, being straight, being blonde and being right-handed as much as does being a mutant. And although it kills me to say it, I totally agree with him. He's asking people to forget their history, to assimilate. What history? Assimilate into what? Normal human culture. As opposed to what? Normal mutant culture? Mutants come from all races and religions and all sexual orientations. Having powers born into us Holy is the shit. only thing that we inherently share. Uh, you know, it actually, weirdly enough, this is, it's strange to bring his name up uh, yet again, but I remember when Tim O'Neill had like a really great long post about why essentially the whole mutant persecution comparison doesn't work and uh, I thought it was you know it, at the time it was a good point but it, one of the things that I felt like he was really trying to reinforce is the idea of like you can it only works from a distance like the closer that you push up to it the less sense that it makes so for yeah. Remender to get to this level of discussion about it is just it's, I mean, it's horrible. I would, I, it, I, it, it really falls apart. But I do love that they're like, you should listen to what Alex said. I, yeah, Alex, definitely not Rick. Alex, <laughs> listen to what. Don't respond to what you're thinking. Respond to what the man, Alex, not me, Alex, <laughs> said. Okay, I'm the wasp, and I'm telling you to listen to what Alex said. Stop, stop coming here with your biases, Alex. Three pages of a comic, Jeff. Three pages of a twenty-page comic. Of a twenty-page three ninety-nine comic, right? Yeah. So, so that's yeah. Oh, and I actually skipped the part where um, someone says, "What do you think about being a mutant and your Romany background?" And that's when Scarlet Witch starts talking about religion, mistaking, of course, the Romany isn't a religion. Yeah, it's what? Yeah. Uh... It's it's a bit of a problem, but then you see, Recommender tweet that the reason that says that was it was originally written as Jewish and changed after the fact. Wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> great? <laughs> if somehow it made its print with Jewish? Because then the internet would have exploded. I, th I think they, well, at least uh, at least things would have made sense in context. The idea that you're actually going to change it to Romany but then not change everything else? I was just, wow. Wow. They must be so, so happy that that <laughs> came out on the same day of Age of Ultron 10. Because if that come out in a slow comics week... Oh, totally. Rick Remender would be torn to fucking shreds by now. Yeah, yeah. In, instead, we all have, like, a ton of outrage. Hey, you know, actually, Graham, if I could change this up, you know, I, I really... Uh, it's going to be an unfortunate change of pace, so I, hopefully we can get back to something really peppy afterward, but I'm really bummed in in, a, in in the sense that I can't even really approach how to wrap my brain around it that Kim Thompson is dead, you know? That, that is the most 
skillful segue I think we've ever had in this show. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm known for well, that. <laughs> well done, Jeff. Um, it's a re- it's a really weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like it, it's it's yeah. Um, I was genuinely shocked when I saw the news yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I, I I really because I was kind of like I know he had cancer, but he was getting treatment. He was getting better. God damn it! What? Right. Like I really did have that moment of no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. That this must not be true. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's. I don't know what to say. It's tragic. It, it that's that's as far as my brain goes with it. I can't process any further. I know, and that's the thing that's really problematic for me because it's like you know, to the extent that you and I actually try and talk about you know, quote unquote, the comic news or something, there is a way in which you know Kim Kim Thompson's passing is is really kind of. Um, momentous i suppose you know not necessarily in a good way i i think that everything everything that is in place it's not like he hopefully uh you know everything that he brought to fanographics i i would like to believe will sort of continue to survive i think i i feel like yeah but ju- just when you think about everything he did though see, it's one of those things where it's it. like yeah you know sure it can it can continue but everything kim thompson has done in his life. Well, and it is so crucial. I mean, that is, like, in terms of somebody who really, the marketplace that we are in and we are looking at now owes so much to Kim Thompson, I feel, in that regard. It, it's almost impossible to overstate, you know? Um, and I think that's the thing that actually kind of kills me, is is that just, not only is there sort of this sense of, like like, loss and regret, but I honestly can't wrap my brain around the concept of of being able to even properly you know commemorate the man you know because um you know being able to go as i've done once or twice down to the library and um grab a book you know a jacques tardy crime novel you know graphic novel uh is so directly um because of of Kim Thompson, you know. Well, I, I mean, that's, if you think about the people he's whose work he has brought to America, even just yeah. in the last few years, yeah, it's it's staggering to think that not that no one will be doing that, but that he won't. But that someone with exactly. his yeah. his experience and his taste and his reach, yeah, exactly, will not be doing it. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that kills me. I, as as people know from last week, I continued on my comic book long box sorting mission, and we in fact wrapped it up like for a grand total of I don't know I think it was like nineteen long boxes or something. And one of the things that was interesting was getting all that stuff pushed into shape and seeing the books like, you know, the various things where I have stabs of like, oh, I can't really let those go, can I? You know, like that kind of thing of like, oh, well, a lot of this stuff is going to, I'm really thinking I can just sell it off and I'll be fine without it. But one of the things, uh, among all the other stuff, one of the things that I had this huge, um, uh, surprisingly strong attachment to were uh, all the issues of the Nimrod, you know, which was my introduction to Louis Trondheim, which, uh, you know, Kim Thompson discovered, translated, you know, published, and pretty much packaged. You know, the fact that the Nimrod is, in fact, a, a, an anagram of Trondheim is clever and 
and 100% Kim Thompson's as far as I know, you know? Um, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it, 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 but if you think of everyone... If you think of everyone that Fantagraphics has published, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, without Kim Thompson, that might never have happened. Yeah. Your brain kind of breaks. Yeah, it really does. It really And really that's does. not even getting to, like, the people who have founded publishers or the people who have been published because they've been inspired by a Fantagraphics book. Right, right. And that's where things you know what I mean? really get huge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it, where it, things it's scale just up. It, the impact of Kim Thompson on the industry mm-hmm. and of the, on the medium. Yes. Is is astounding. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I, I I agree. So I don't know. It was just one of those things where it was like, and this my frustration, and hence the really terrible segue, is this idea of like I really do want to address this, even though I can't. Like it's literally too big for me to to begin to 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 wrap my, my mind around or do it any justice to. But yeah, it's it, I know that Tom Spurgeon's working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find myself looking forward to is the wrong way of putting it. Right. But I feel that Spurgeon is one of the few people who will be able to do Thompson justice. I hope so. I mean, I I think so because I think that I think that Spurgeon is just such a superlative writer, and I think there's a way in which, in a weird way, I feel like Spurgeon is kind of that weird cross between Gary Groth and Kim Thompson. You know, in a way, like he's the 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 sort of vituperative button pushing uh, scabrousness but also kind of the the more um, I don't know gentle uh, the, the one who just loves comics in all their different forms and media yeah you know yeah um, so I kind of hope that yeah if there I kind of do have that thing of like yeah if anyone's going to really be able to, to give give the eulogy that at least most of us who you know, don't know, really don't personally know Thompson, you know, would want, it would be, I think it would be Spurgeon. So I'm, I'm hopeful, but, but at the same time, it's so big. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that, do you remember, maybe you don't, maybe it's a British thing, um, rock family trees, which was a thing that this guy used to do in Britain, which is basically like, here's a band and here are all the various other bands they've touched. Mm, No. Um, I wish someone would do something like that for Kim Thompson because I think you'd end up basically getting everyone in comics at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a, it is huge. It is huge in that regard. I mean, because there is, there's just the extents of, um, I don't know. You know, it, it's very easy for me to see someone like I. I remember being really uh, struck, like in in a positive way. Um, at I think a WonderCon session, which was was Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker, and I think Brubaker had referred to himself as a like a comics journal reader in recovery or something like that. You know, he basically was like, yeah, I don't, you know, it. He was he didn't mean it in an entirely positive way because I think that that for such a long time Brubaker had a fear of approaching or embracing. Um, superhero fiction specifically but also kind of you got the sense of genre fiction uh, generally as a result of the comic stroll influence but he also was in Seattle because of Fanographics and that entirely tight-knit group of cartoonists that grew out of that culture and then a lot of whom you know have gone on to move into into the mainstream I mean it is it's incalculable it really is I mean it's it's incalculable just from the fact that um 
you know, the fact that, that we're that were widely read at all. I mean, you know, I choose most of my time to bitch about Age of Ultron 10 or, like, you know, have myself bookmarked so that I complain about the latest issue of Batman and Batgirl. But but I really do, like, you know, this, this stuff where I sit down and I can just sort of sit down with a good book, you know, has so much to do with the effect that, that Kim Thompson had uh, on the American comics industry. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. It really is huge, and like I said, it's very hard for me to think of. Um, oh no, you know, it's. <laughs> it, I, I'm like weird. He he was like the indie comics Paul Levitz, I guess, in a way, you know, uh, which sounds kind of weird. But I'm just trying to think of someone else who worked at every level of the industry. You know what I mean? And and in that mm-hmm. sense, touched uh, all these different aspects, and ended up, you know, because of his taste, influencing them so hugely. Um, yeah, it's just it's a tremendous, tremendous loss, uh, and uh, it, it it's it's kind of crushing. It's crushing how it seems like so many uh, really incredibly talented people in comics seem to die just shockingly young. You know? Yeah, he he was what fifty eight. I mean, he was yeah he was terrifyingly young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so. But I mean, you know, I say that because I want to make some sort of huge point, and then you get Jim Scandolfini, you know kicking off at 51 which is just you know which is sort of the flip side of that like you know I'm pretty sure James Gandolfini probably ended up with a pretty good healthcare plan for the last you know couple of decades so you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean (laughs) I'm like it's not just comics that kills people off damn it it's an unfair uncaring god and that's my main point great I don't not know. It's like, where do we go from there, Jack? Well, I have to say, I reread uh, Superman slash Batman one through six <laughs> by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. Did you buy it in that sale? Yeah, I did. I totally did. Yeah. I admit it. I, I, I totally knew you would. Totally <laughs> did you? Oh, yeah. you bastard! Yeah, it's kind of weird. I really was like, I'm like, ah, oh, the Superman sale, you know. Bleh. But I saw those, and those were the ones where I was like, oh, I should pick those up. I'm like, no. But I, but because I have the hard copies, and I'm like, I'll be getting rid of these. And also, like, oh, I remember it was, it was a fun read. It's like, okay, I'll get them. You know what's really funny? I remember those as a fun read, and I think I even like them more than you. And that was why I didn't pick them up digitally. That's really funny. That's really Because I was like, I'm going to read these, and this is going to disappoint me, and it's going to make me feel like I was a moron for liking them in the first place. Avoid! <laughs> it's the same reason that I didn't pick up I didn't pick up the uh, burn action issues. Oh, see? I, re- I really mm-hmm. liked the burn action issues when yeah. I was a kid. And yeah. I, I, again, I was just like, nope, I'm going to ruin it. I'm totally going to read these and be like, eh, it's kind of flat. And then just feel like an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You know, I have to say the the great thing about rereading those six issues of Superman, Batman, one through six is rereading them digitally and going, um, what kind of chump am I for like at least the first four issues? And then by the time I hit the sixth issue, I'm just kind of like, it's berserk and it's not necessarily good. Um, in fact, it's quite far from good. And the thing that actually surprised me was, um. The, the coloring was was strong but like I, I was surprised by like how much less um, 
impressive Ed McGuinness's art was, you know, because it's sort of a big, fun, full, cartoony kind of look to it, you know, that's still recognizably DC. And there's bits and pieces that I liked, but I was shocked to look at it digitally and be like, wow, there's stuff here that's like kind of sketchy, that's, uh, you know, under-rendered, that's kind of a cheat. There's parts where you can see it gets bored with the sequence. You know, of course, the thing that's great about McGinnis is, is that he'll also turn around and, like, there's that special glove that Hawkman puts on to, like, punch Superman. It's like, I don't know, it's like the gauntlet of Horus or whatever. And it's just the most beautifully little designed piece of throwaway, you know, it's there because the plot needs it to kind of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, what, what really surprised me was reading one through six of Superman and Batman and realizing, and this, and this sounds embarrassing to say, but realizing how formulaic Jeff Loeb's stuff is like, I, and believe me, I'm the first person to cry, you know, formula in a mount movie crowded movie theater when, when Jeff Loeb's movie is playing. But, uh, and I should make a commando joke and somehow just dig my grave on this failed joke, like even deeper and deeper and deeper. But, uh, but the thing that's amazing to me was reading Superman through Batman 1 through 6 and realizing like how much of the formula I'm willing to forgive because it is Loeb basically throwing the formula is basically just throw more fuel on the fire just big it make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger you know what I mean and so there's yeah, this thing which, of, which is pretty much the only way that it works yeah exactly exactly if he does any other gear he's screwed but when he gets that and of course by the time you get to the end where you've got you know the enormous Superman Batman composite robot that's supposed to like fly up and punch the, the meteor coming from Krypton it's I mean that's great that's really great. I mean, the whole thing is just so, like, you're assuming that, I, I, I really got the, I, do you know, did he ever do any sort of oral history? Was this, like, Loeb basically deliberately trying to tie up all the stuff that he had, that he wanted to do with his Superman run and then left before, or? Uh, I don't think he's ever actually come out and say, said that, but it quite clearly is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the opening six issues is the end of the uh, Lex Luthor's president arc that yes. he launched back when he was doing Superman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and definitely when Superman Batman launched, it was a, you know, here's where it's all been leading type right. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but there was also a little bit like there's, but there's also Jeff Loeb's ability to just you know pull crap out of his ass, like you know Captain Adam. It's there's this whole Captain Re Adam redemption bit at the end of the story to make it all work, and I was like, again, it was it was weirdly Age of Ultron ish. I'm like, why should we care about this clown? And so I was just kind of curious, like, had Loeb been doing stuff with Captain Adam? Was this just some no, sort of no. weird? It just came out of nowhere. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, and that is that 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 is the thing that I think is really interesting to me is is that Loeb does that weird. Like after reading Age of Ultron, the one thing about Superman, Batman one through six, again, like I the first three issues were terrible, and there was stuff that just literally made no sense at all. And even Loeb being like, "Oh yeah," I mean, he's so clearly plotting at some level beyond the seat of his pants, you know, and yet. Uh, 
I think I lost my train of thought there. Uh, is, is that Loeb really will... There's times when he's with the right artist that you get this... He's really willing to bullshit you well enough that you think that he's committing to it. Like, you, he will bullshit you to the level of, oh, I, I think... I feel like I'm getting a story because I feel like he's committed to the story. You know what I mean? And then when you yeah. look back on it, that's probably only true, like, maybe 20% of the time. So... I don't. I don't really know. It was. It was a fascinating read. Like Superman through Batman one through six, being read so close to Age of Ultron, um, because if you look at it, I mean, one through six, it opens with the whole thing with like Metallo and did he did he kill Batman's parents? And then you've got the alternate future Superman show up, and then there's you know it just more and more and more and more junk gets piled on with every issue. Meanwhile. Loeb acts like he's dealing with every element that he's introducing, but he's clearly not. He's clearly, it's clearly just he's continuing to do this. Well, it's another three pages. I've got to have a big shock. I've got to have a big reversal, you know? It's like, oh, here comes Captain Marvel and Hawkman. And, oh, no, wait, Superman and Batman are going to switch who they're fighting. But so are Hawkman and Captain Marvel because that's how awesome they are. You know, and it's just exactly like, they saw it coming. Yeah, you ex- think I zigged, I zooked, I zigged, <laughs> I zooked, which is pretty much how Jeff Love works when he's going big. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's 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 actually again really close to Age of Ultron where they're like, you know, I'm gonna do something you never saw coming. Like Love when he's on does that as a matter of course, and you completely forgive the sheer fucking insanity of it. Yeah. Because yeah. he will, from out of nowhere, be like, it's Superman, Batman, they're fighting Lex Luthor. Who's that? It's Santa Claus! Bubble <laughs> bitches! And you really would just be like, what? Why is it Santa Claus? But all the characters would be like, Santa's here? Oh, crap! And you would be like, I guess I'm gonna go with it, because really? It's, it's something weirdly Kirby-ish for me. It's funny that. because it's, really... I was going to say it's weirdly DCU-ish in the best sense. I mean, I, I think there is probably a level of Kirby to it too, but there was something about reading Superman, Batman where I was like, I mean, and it's it's obvious, it's it's those captions are like, man, if you think you wanted to punch yourself in the face when they first came out, Graham, let me tell you, oh boy, does the, does the split Superman, Batman caption thing Oh, does that hurt? Oh, so Jeff, badly. Jeff, Jeff! If you think it's bad there, you should stick with it to the end of Jeff Loeb's run. Oh, I did. Where, uh, like, no, not the end of the sixth issue. I'm saying you should reread it now, like by the time you get to the final arc. Oh yeah. Where, where first of all, the plot falls apart even for Jeff Loeb. Oh, even for Jeff Loeb, I do remember that, and that is one of those things where I remember, like honestly, if if they had like a Superman Batman sale tomorrow, I think I would only go. I think I'd I would go own... through the Carlos Pacheco yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. The, all the timeline stuff where you get Commandy yeah. and everyone popping up, like, yeah. and and then that would be it. Because because the end of that stuff really was such a such such a, like just bed shitting at a colossal scale. And that's the thing that I thought was fascinating was rereading Superman through Batman one through six, realizing how much of that is kind of always be implicit in Jeff Loeb's kind of, you know, I mean, I I think it's no surprise to anyone who watched Heroes under his tenure is like, wow, he really is just bullshitting, you know, 
he's just talking out his ass and vamping for time and then he'll come up with something and just present it like it's awesome and whether you believe it or not is up to factors that even he has very little control over but yeah I remember getting to the end of Superman Batman and just being like what the fuck was that like honestly Graham if it had been Santa Claus at the end of that I would have been much happier as I recall so <laughs> I actually don't even remember how it ends I just remember a really clear moment of going like this is awesome right up to the last storyline then I was like what is up what has happened well isn't isn't it that weird like faux emperor joker like redux it's, thing but yeah it's something worse. like that it's yeah I, and, I, and then at the end, he's, he's kind of like, what do you want from me? My kid is dead. Kind of like really bad. Bad. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, cool, that was around that time that his kid died. So, you know, I cut him an unbearable amount of slack for yeah. everything falling apart in the last few issues. Yeah. Because, you know, holy shit. But, yeah, everything really falls apart in the end. Yeah, hugely, hugely. Hey, so. because you because I mentioned Kirby, because I invoked the king. Yes. I have to ask, did you on Twitter see Dylan Todd and myself talking about the Masters of the Universe one-shot that Keith Given did a couple of weeks ago? No, but Tom Scioli, I think, on Twitter, or maybe his, like linked to some pictures or something on it, and I was like, holy shit, I have to see that. That crazy... Yeah, yes, you do, because... I am not shitting you. The second and third pages are a direct call out to the second and third pages of uh, New Gods Issue 1. No shit. A direct... In fact, the entire issue is a New Gods story. Wow. Really, really... Like, not even vaguely hiding it. Man. It is It is Kirby doing New Gods as much as he possibly can. Right. Um, with, you know, with the He-Man toys. Right. Right, right, right. And but when you he, say Kirby, is, you mean Giffen, of course. Giffen doing uh, sorry, Kirby. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's right. Giffen doing Kirby, yeah. Yeah. It Man. is. There is a line somewhere. Yeah, there is. A, in, the, in the middle of the comic, there will come a day when the old god shall pass from the realm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, he worked that right in there, did he? Yeah, right in there. In fact, Jeff, put on your camera for a second, okay. and I will show you. Hold on. Sorry for this, everyone, because this is probably. This is the part where you get to use your imagination. Ooh. Oh. oh, God, that's great. And then pan down, like, pull the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God, that's great. Yeah, he is totally, totally just worked the Kirby in there. Wow. I've got I've got to get my hands on that, whether digitally or not. I hate to say it. So, yeah, but... it, it, it's called um, Masters of the Universe, The Origin of Hordak, Issue 1. <laughs> Because so, it's not the, it's not the regular Masters of the Universe book, which he does write. Uh huh. He he sadly doesn't draw. Legend of Hordak, and it's just a it's just a one. Sorry, shot, the or? the origin of Hordak. It's a one shot. Okay. Okay. So, because at one point, you, I thought you said something like the later like issues two and three were were definitely new gods. I was like, what? What? So. No, no, no. Later pages. Pages. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I've got to pick that as on the must pick up. Because that is lovely. Well, you know, um, yeah, I I hate, you know, it's really funny. I did not think, I, I hate the idea of thinking that I'm just some sort of empty nostalgist that is going to be, like, sort of chasing my, like, Kirby Ditko high. Uh, in some ways, it's ironic because I'm sort of, um, you know, I, 
much bigger Kirby and Ditko fan in my adulthood than I was in my youth. But um, thanks to Jay Smitty. Oh, wait, here, you can turn the camera back on here. Uh, Again, sorry, listeners. Yes, yeah, I'm exactly. seeing your lovely beard right there. Oh, yeah. Wait, what? He sent he oh. sent me a copy of Shade the Changing Man number two from 1977, uh, written, plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, and apparently Ditko uh-huh. did the cover overlay, color overlays, and then written by Michael Fleischer. And having writ- read enough Michael Fleischer now to realize what an insane, like two lunatics getting together and doing a comic series like shade the original shade the changing Wait, man ha, stuff have you never read there i don't think i have i think i've only like oh, i was like oh i read it but there's a collection out there you should buy it yeah it it seemed a little pricey at the time but after reading this issue with with the with form Wait, hold on. How do I do I the forms shades in the forms of destruction yeah and the form comes out like Dude, Shade the Changing Man is crazy. Like, it really honestly oh, it, could it's, be... it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. That collection is really good. I think it's like the Steve Ditko Omnibus Volume 1 featuring Shade. I is it Volume 1? I think my... I was going to say Volume 2, or because I thought I had one of the other Omnibus, and then I didn't pick this one up. What's the one? Is 2 with all the Creeper, and then, like, 1 is with no, all creeper, the... No, Creeper... The Creeper is its own book. There is a Creeper, like, collection on its own. Okay. Uh, I'm going to minimize you because, again, looking at me, too weird. You look lovely, though, as always. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, hang on. It's. I want to see if it's a Steve Dick Omnibus one because I think it is. Yeah. Um. Holy cow! It's just so good. There's something about the. It's, it's volume one. It it it's kind of crazy, but I really had that weird moment of like, this would make such an amazing TV show slash movie kind of. I mean that that seems so goofy, but um. But the idea that you basically have these crime lords in this city who are fighting one another, and meanwhile getting involved in it, it are these basically crime lords and cops from another dimension. Like, it's just... There's something that's really awesome about that concept. And seeing it done here, and of course the whole idea that they've got the, the occult resource research institute or whatever, that's the actual... Um, you know, cover organization for all the the meta agents on Earth, just great. Like I really was. I'm like, change that into the Church of Scientology, and you've just got yourself an amazing, um, you know, um, amazingly cool little over the top science, uh, you know, science fiction uh, cops and robbers action premise. It, and and so reading it, of course, because they do it that way, it's just great. I mean, Ditko stuff is really, God, it's it's perfectly told too. There's a page here. Ooh, can I turn on the camera one more time? Oh, turn it, Jeff. You should make a point of like trying to scan uh, scan all this. I know exactly because if we don't, it's really like why would we put people through this? But um, uh. So here's this page, right? And one of the things that I love is, is this the page where it starts out with he, Shade is remembering his, like, hot girlfriend and the times that they had together. He, so he's recapping the origin, and then it comes in uh-huh. where she's like, ooh, that Shade, I hate him. And then she remembers, like, basically how he destroyed all this stuff and how she has to negate him, right? And then he's down there. And then the third tier of the page is him in the story but and then you scroll over and then it's her right there so i love yeah. the fact that on this page they 
they each pop up, but they're in opposition every time that they appear. You know what I mean? They just yeah. keep flipping, but they're never yeah. united. They're separated literally by all the stuff that's happened yes. between them. And then at the end, and I, I was just like, that's like some primo ass comic book storytelling shit. You know, it's just great. Both of the uh, Ditko omnibuses from DC are full of that shit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The second, vo- the second volume has Hawk and Dove and also the Starman series. Ah, again. shit. I really got to get this. I, I thought, because I love the Creeper, but I was like, okay, but I only like the Creeper. I'm not going to go in. No, in no, no, no. This stuff's stuff. great. The first volume also has Stalker, which is his, like, fantasy series. Oh, man. And, ju- and just, like, random stories from Strange Adventures. And then the second volume has Hawk and Dove and Starman and, like, other fantasy series in there as well. So, um, I, 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 I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. <laughs> Jeff is totally doing stuff that no one can hear. Jeff is holding up. Is this the latest Ditko fanzine? It's, it's, the, it's the reprint of the first issue of the Ditko public service package. Okay. And one of the great things is this was funded by Kickstarter. Uh, yes. And what's great about it is they list everyone who contributed to it via the uh-huh. Kickstarter and it's pretty Including much you are you on there I'm on there in fact I was trying to get to where I was um where am I oh I think I'm okay let's see here I think I'm up here uh, I don't know if you can see me Jarrett Kobeck who turned me on to it yes was I up can here. see it. yes Jeff yeah. Lester there 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 his name is up there but then like seriously the people who contributed to this let's just say this was not the book that I was expecting to see Rick Remender's name in but he is in here as is Wait, why why not I, I don't well you know what I mean he's Ditko I wasn't I, I'm just being facetious in that you're not expecting to see anyone's name other than Ditko but to that you recognize but then when you're coming across people like you know Tim Callahan, of course, and Mark Evigny, and you know Jay Geldof, and Joe McCulloch, and um, a variety of other people. Let's just say, oh, I think Stephen Williamson. Hey, so so there's just a ton of people contributing to it. The thing that's great is I'm only about halfway through it, and I have public um, the public Ditko public service package number two before from years ago, and they sent me another copy of that. But the thing that was great about this is it starts off with this huge long tirade from Ditko about the it's it starts off called once upon a comic time a comic fable and it's literally about how terrible the comics industry has become and the thing that's great about it apart from the fact from the the like four pages where Ditko like slams the comic critic um <laughs> is even better is, is this idea of like the, the comic book offices of genius genius comics right um they're like a comic book artist actually has an idea while the the publisher and the writer and the um god who are the other money men and the artists are all involved like all all these dudes that you can totally see are classic sort of ditko characters and oh yeah um, Smiley with dollar signs. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And what happens is, and it's actually all pretty comical, but what happens is they decide to put out a reprint. They're supposed to brainstorm for their new idea and they come out with a uh-huh. reprint comic. And it's clear from the way Ditko's talking about it that it's very much the... Because it's done in the 90s and he's clearly had it with the way the comics industry is going. So he's talking not just about how the characters themselves are basically the same story gets done over and over and over again basically 
But what's great is he's saying, like, and he has pages where he's mocking the comic book fanboys who are like, hooray, a reprint. I can't wait to have this reprint. Hooray, a reprint. And what's great is I'm like, this motherfucking issue is a reprint, you know, that we all, like, funded. <laughs> like, the the whole meta box that, that, like, Ditko has ended up in is a result of Kickstarter and everything. It's really, it's awesome. I don't know. I, I haven't read any reviews online, but hopefully everyone else tipped to that point. It's, it's great seeing Ditko literally, you know, complain so boisterously about this thing that he has come way more closer to recreating. Like, it's, it's not what he meant at all, so he would, of course, yeah. dismiss me with an angry pshaw. But, oh my god, it was kind of great. So, the cheap irony, the cheap irony that you can get from the reprint of the Public Service Ditko package alone, I think, is is well worthwhile, Graham. If you, have, if you, have, if you get a chance to pick this up elsewhere, do so. I, 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 will, I will look for it. I, 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 need to, I need to A, get to a comic store, but B, pick things up. <laughs> hey, Jeff, talk about picking up, and seeing as I can see you right now, I'm going to hold up and see your happy expression. It's it's the fuzz, first of all. Uh, <laughs> it is. They're 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 like they're busting me for like um e- egregious uh, FaceTime usage uh, on a podcast. <gasps> Ooh, get out! Did you get a comp copy of that? No, I got it from the library, Jeff. Oh, okay. Well, that's better. Sad, sad Jeff face. I'm going to minimize you so I don't see your sad face distracting me. Um, see. So yeah, I what what I was holding up ladies and gentlemen, is the Empowered Deluxe Edition Volume 2. You may remember last week mm-hmm. that talking about Empowered, and I was like, I, I'm going to get that from the library. I've just <laughs> missed it in the past, and I'm going to get it and see what I think. And what I think is this. That's one fucked up comic. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much that is just weird and fucked up about Empowered. Like, yeah. really crazily weird and fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because it's such a weird. Um, it's it's a strangely atonal book in the sense of there's all this stuff that's kind of like oh hey here's my comedy yuck yuck jokes stuff and then here's my really really dark and kind of bleak you know storytelling ter- angles like I'm not sure what gets collected in in volume two. Oh, volume volume two is this fourth through six books. Oh, okay. Then you really, yeah, you're really oh, so yeah, at that point. So yeah, it mm-hmm. gets dark. That's why I'm saying it's fucked up. Like, yeah. the whole bondage thing, mm-hmm. you know, kids, you like the bondage things? Go with God. The, <laughs> like, the sex, the sex comedy angle? You know, that's great. You want right. to get your jollies looking at Adam Warren, like, drawing characters having sex? You kids have fun with that. Um... But what really, really got to me was just how fucking dark it gets. And for me, the darkest part is not when the character dies, but when later on, the character's girlfriend is met by someone who's like, oh, she's in hell. She's in hell getting raped by her brother. And there's no payoff to that. That's just there to fester in your brain. Yeah, yeah. There's there's all sorts of festery stuff of like the level to which the things that are bad that happen to people in Empowered are really, really bad. And it's kind of interesting because in theory, it's such a... Like, we hear about how things are supposed to be bad all the time in comic books, you know what I mean? But it, it sort of reminds me of like, oh, right, this is really horrible. I was kind of fascinated because... So did you read the whole thing or are you just sort of still making your way through it or...? 
Oh no, I, I've read all of that collection. And actually, after this collection, despite the fact that I was like, that's fucked up, I then went and uh, ordered book seven oh, good. Uh, from the library as well to, to bring myself up to date. Oh, great, great. Because I think actually book seven, man, some of the storytelling in book seven is astonishing to me. And it's interesting because that was one where I was like, okay, this is like too dark and then and then at a moment sort of like too sort of precious slash clever but then by the end of it I was like this is brilliant it was brilliant so I'll be curious to see what you think I was fascinated because the whole um the character uh of mindfuck um you know that's uh, spooky sister's uh true love slash girlfriend she gets introduced like I don't even think she's in the first three volumes at all. She comes in here, and then she dies. Like, that's volume six, isn't it? She it dies five? in volume five. Okay, volume she gets, five. She, I, from, from what I can tell, she gets introduced in volume four and dies in volume five. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which is kind of a weird trajectory. But did to me, did you get, like, a really strong, like, Chris Claremont vibe off of volume five? Or no, maybe not. But to not, me, that not whole, incredibly. Yeah. I got a very Chris Claremont vibe off of Mindfuck as a character and Mindfuck's relationships with people. Yes, I, I thought that Mindfuck was a very Claremont character. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, um, but, but I also but thought that even, the death even scene... to the extent, mm-hmm. yeah, no, 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 very much. And the but the, in Volume Six, the reaction to the death as well. Yes, very Claremontian to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Claremontian. I may have just invented that word, but I think we all know what it means. <laughs> all too horribly much so, yes. But I don't know, like, here's the thing. Empowered was definitely the... Because I've read Volumes 1 and 2 before. Mm-hmm. I've not read Volume 3, but now I've read Volumes 4 through 6. Right. Um, I came away liking it more. I came away thinking it was more accomplished and there was more to it. Mm-hmm. But I also came away with a really bad taste in my mouth. Interesting. There, there really is a point for me where, like, it weirdly crosses the line for me in dark. Mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking and being like, "Oh, so now it's crossed the line from porn to torture porn." Huh. I was like, you know, one of those is acceptable, and the other one isn't. Mm. And I, you know, I don't know why. And you know, it's not as if empowered then just only becomes torture porn, right? And it's not even torture porn; it's like emotional torture porn. <laughs> Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like, because it's got his whole, like, you know, I'm getting tied up, but I'm playing it for jokes and wacky wacky. Right. And, and you know, so calling it torture porn feels like I'm sort of muddying the waters, but it gets so dark and, and there's no, there's no real resolution to any of it. Like, mm-hmm. because he just, because his plot lines just continue. Yes. You're left with, there is this character out there who, he's a bad guy and he literally, literally is a skull fucker. Yes. Who in the process kills everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but he's he's just on the loose. Mm-hmm. And so one of your characters is terrified of him. Meanwhile, another of your characters is completely traumatized because she was unable to save her true love. Mm-hmm. And you know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, your other two characters are empowered, who is kind of keeping it together, and Ninjet, who is a functioning alcoholic. Right. Comics, everybody. It's, <laughs> it's so. I mean, really, you have you have this moment where you're like, this is stopped being fun because it's so dark. Well, I don't know. I told. I get your. I I totally get your gist. I do. And um, I don't know. You know. Like it's. it's yeah. 
I was going to say, there, there's a point where, like, he goes back to trying to do the fun. And, like, I'm just like, don't do the fun. <laughs> like, the fun seems, re- seems really tasteless right now. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Some of those those change gears can actually be a, a little um, uh, off-putting in some ways. But, but I don't know. You know, it's funny because I really do have that moment. You know, we... It is, it's interesting to me when you were complaining about Avengers Arena and a, a lot of listeners were kind of like, you should read the whole thing. Jeff, you should definitely get on it and read it because it's more to your liking than to Graham's. You know, that all that sort of stuff, which I was frustrating me for me in the sense that, well, I can't really do anything, you know, about it. But, um, but it does remind me a little bit of we're currently, Edie and I are currently watching Game of Thrones, you know, uh, just like and by at a very slow pace because those fuckers only put like two episodes on a disc. So I think we literally just finished watching the fourth episode of the first season. And I'm fascinated to the extent to which um it 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 seems super super dark. Um and you know, arguably, like, crosses crosses a threshold, and we're not even through the first season, much less later on down the line, um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the way in which, um, how do I put it, like, like, isn't some of the stuff that's in there just the stuff that was in fantasy novels all along, but it just sort of lost its resonance, you know, like, like, in Empowered, when you have that sense of like, oh yeah, people go to hell, you know, in superhero books, kind of all the time, and what that actually means, like, oh, the whole like, oh, so-and-so was taken away, and they're going to be tortured, or, or so-and-so was killed horribly, like, there's that the, 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 that stuff all becomes sort of shorthand and impact-free, you know, but it's still so buried in so much of the genre, and so I'm fascinated by the idea that when somebody takes the time to unpack that, and not nearly at the level of Avatar press levels of explication, but just an additional step farther to make you pause and reflect on it, it gets really uncomfortable really quickly, you know? No, totally. I I, I completely agree. And I'm not even necessarily damning it mm-hmm. for that. I don't know. I just I find Empowered an extremely problematic book because it's so tonally inconsistent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so purposefully tonally inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. That it really will be like, okay, so your ex-girlfriend is literally being raped by her brother in hell and now here's an extended like bondage joke. Right. Right. Exactly. And, like, and, and it's and it's like purposely constructed that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, there's it's I, it's a really weird thing. I I can't get a handle on it. But like I said, I obviously liked it enough to be like, I want to read the next volume. Yeah, yeah. I'll be curious. But to I see I, I, I find a real I really find it a really problematic series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I understand that, and I I'm glad you checked it out. Like I said, the interestingly enough, <laughs> if you picked up that empowered animal style one shot, it's it's great how unproblematic it is. It's very, very straightforward. There is not a lot of dark stuff to it at all, really. Um, but there is, uh, you know, at least certainly compared to all this stuff, for, for certain. Um, 
but yeah, it's just it's just a very strange um, mix of stuff. And part of me is kind of like, well, there's different influences. I mean, that's the thing that I find fascinating also about Warren is I feel like here's a guy who really is working off of like people talk all the time about trying to create a, a hybrid between like American comics and manga, you know, and usually what they just mean is, is like. I don't know, you know, some bullshit like, hey, here's Spider-Man, but he looks like he's being drawn manga style, you know. Whereas I feel like Adam Warren really is trying to um, create this hybrid in the way that that American comics and American superhero comics work, uh, but also the way that that manga comics work. Because manga does go, will sort of go to some dark places and then usually come up with some like a lot of really broad humor and I mean it varies it depends on who you're talking about of course but um, Mm -hmm. you know but I do get the sense that he's working a bunch several different influences oh no you know I I, I, in the course of cleaning out um, the comics one of the stuff that I was absurdly happy to see was all the issues that I had grabbed of uh, Adam Warren's um, Gen 13, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is all... Yeah, you, you said that here. last week, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, it's here, and I'm... It really was, I had that moment of like, I should really pull this out and reread it, because I, I don't remember. I think all of it finally got collected in trade, but it wasn't anything that I was really going to mess with. Um, but I remember like, you know, he's done sort of more traditional superhero comics, uh, and, and looking at it, I was like, Empowered is so much more his own thing, but I also feel that it was started off as such a weird... It came from such a weird, compromised place. I'm never really sure if it's what Warren wants to be doing or not. You know what I mean? Like, I know that he's he's putting all the stuff in there that he wants to do, and he's building and extrapolating it, but there there are times where I have that thing of like... But sometimes I get the feeling that it wasn't his ideal project. You know what I mean? Um, he's just yeah, doing no, his totally. best to make it that. So, <coughs> so I can never tell, like, to what degree my ambivalence about empowered may or may not be reflected in the creator. And I've always been way too chicken shit to try and ask him, frankly. So, um, I don't know. Uh, wow, that's great that well, you checked it out, though. Now you've put it out on the internet. Maybe he'll somehow find out and respond. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I mean, really, honestly, I should just try. I follow him on Twitter. I, he's always. A, it's it's very rare that I've actually ever said anything to him, but he's large by and largely ignored me as well. He should, but uh, but yeah, maybe. I don't know. Podcast wise, maybe someone with a little more pull will follow up. Uh, Graham, we're getting near the end of this amazing podcast. Um, we ha- we we've gone all over the place, Jeff. Yes. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about in the four minutes before we finish? Yeah. Before we finish, let me just say, Batman and Batgirl issue twenty-one. Uh, it's Pete Tomasi with Cliff Richards as a guest penciler. I did not like. <laughs> Do not want, except I ended up buying it. And I uh, I feel like this is second issue in a row that you've been do not like for this book, right? Yeah, I just, I'm not down with this arc. I'm really not. You know, I'm really super tired of I'm really tired of of the, of Batman goes to a dark place and yells at everyone, you know, and that's just and, and we're right back there. We're really in the thick of it, where Batgirl's trying to like 
talk to him about shit, and instead of the, my parents are dead, it's like, you know, Damien is dead. dead! Exactly. And it's, it really is, it's, I just don't have any patience for it. I don't. And it's not going anywhere. I don't know if Tomasi's spinning his wheels, you know, deliberately, or, or there's some finer piece that's, that's falling into place. But honestly, it does feel like if it's, this one in particular, uh, even more so than the last issue, uh, feels like a super super fill-in issue, um, and also I'm just again I'm I'm sick of Batman being at this particular point. You know, it's like I just have no interest in it. So did not get much bang for my buck there. Um, Judge Dread Year One Issue Three by Matt Smith and dudes uh, Simon Colby, Leonard O'Gray, and others. Um, I liked, which is I've, I'm continuing to like this this first this extended thing, which is surprising to me because I'm kind of for a while there was thinking I could only really like Judge Dredd in small doses, and maybe it's just the fact that this is monthly. But I'm I I kind of like it. I kind of like um, I realize part of what I enjoy about Judge Dredd is is that he seems like a character that has a continuity to him and yet I don't ever really have to worry about learning all that continuity I suppose yeah no I, I totally get what you're saying I think that's always been Dread's strength that the continuity has grown organically but also has never really been forced down your throat yeah 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 so so for example in the latest issue of 2000 AD which we could talk about I know because you got it last week for via the previews um, and I but don't... I still haven't read it, so you can definitely talk about it. By I'm not right. Should... I am so behind on stuff. Yeah. Oh man. Because isn't isn't um, John Wagner back? John Wagner is back, yeah. and and it's is it Dave Johnson drawing it? It's Dave Taylor. Do, Dave, Dave Taylor. Taylor doing it. And Dave Taylor's great. So Wagner and Taylor, it's like it's just a great little block of Judge Dredd. It's just the start of an arc. Um, but it's also just this stuff where they've got Dread in this whole thing where they keep pushing the fact that Dread is that Mega City One is paying for the decisions that Judge Dread has made, you know, because of the results of what what ended up causing the Chaos War and all that stuff. And what's really wonderful is for me that feeling like, oh yeah, I could go back and I could read all those pieces and know, but. A, I don't have to, and B, they've maneuvered this character to where he's in such a sort of grimy, noir place that I so enjoy with my characters without necessarily making a big deal of it, but it, like you said, it feels entirely 100% organic. Um, it's it's really enjoyable. Um, uh, for me, anyway. So yeah, that latest issue, 2000 AD, has been great. If if we had more than two minutes, I would talk about my weird, conflicted feelings about American Reaper, which has taken up a huge chunk of the last three issues of Judge Dredd magazine, and has been great trying to figure out just from reading it, you know, because it's just funky as all hell. I really do. It, honestly. It's Pat Mills, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I'm a sucker for Pat Mills. But they're also, in the magazine, they're doing this thing, like, I don't know how many series of American Reaper they're doing, but this latest version is all, um, it's all photo, it's, it's like Fumetti, you know? It's like, 
photo comics, but, you know, with all this Photoshop effects and, like, ultra, you know, futuristic, so there's, like, side effect, you know, um, billboards and things dropped into the background, and it, it, it looks really ugly, but it's surprisingly, and American Reaper itself is, like, how do I put it? It's so clearly, like, I, I think, I haven't read enough of the guy to know, but I think it, a lot of people would say that it's sort of post past his prime Pat Mills or fourth-rate Pat Mills or however you want to, like, characterize it. Um, and it's still just, like, I still dig it. Like, I have to say, like, there's something about Pat Mills' lack of subtlety and nuance is so absurdly refreshing to me. I just seriously if that guy was writing a dog food commercial i'm like i i would be there i would be there to check out that dog food commercial and i'd probably Pat, Pat like Mills it dog food commercial would be spectacular it really he'd be would. like you've got to feed final he eat your nuts <laughs> and then you do fucking final food exactly and then you feed it to him and it's like well of course you did that because you're a warmonger you know, and I would just yeah, be exactly, like, "Yeah, exactly." Do you know that that dog meat was actually made out of orphan child from Bosnia? Yes, exactly, exactly. And I fucking love that about Pat Mills. I really do. So American oh, Reaper Jeff, is. You, yes, have I? Have you ever have you ever read his Third World's War from Crisis in the nineteen eighties? If not, you have to fucking find that. Really? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, if, if, if you love heavy-handed, entirely unsubtle Pat Mills being political holy shit that is the mother load well don't get me wrong i i, I, I mean i should say it, like i love it i just i'm i'm shocked that i love it because it is it is um it's oh, hard Jeff, to love. If I, I, it's it's i know they did american versions of like the first say 12 issues or something uh-huh. uh yeah you have to hunt it down it is the most amazing pat mills unsubtle political comic <laughs> Well, what was the stuff that he just finished up an arc in in 2000 AD? Like, I'm the yelly guy, you know, with the gun. Oh, Savage. Yeah, Savage. Like, that was not especially fun, and it was also not at all subtle. Um, but but even then, I found myself kind of like, oh, I kind of like yelly guy. Which reminds me, can you can you unmute your camera for a second? I'm going to sure. torture you and the listeners one more time. Oh man, that is a great storyline as well. Jeff is holding up a copy of the best of 2018 monthly, uh, starring Sam Slade, Robo Hunter, and it's the World Cup series where there is just song lyrics, right? Everyone just keeps singing. Oh my god, I really am so impressed with you, Graham. But yes, because because I am. I listeners, I just held oh, up that, the that, copy. That, no joke. That no joke is some of my seminal comic experience. See, that's it. what I was hoping. I was hoping you would totally dig this, and um, and it this is the stuff. Like I, I uh, one of the things about my comic book collection is uh, my youngest brother uh, Tim basically more or less uh, seeded his comic book collection. You know, of his separate titles. I mean, our comic book collection. I have all the comics from when we were kids. Um, that are all in there so there's stuff like I'm sorting through it I'm calling it all my comics but when we hit this stretch of like Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter I'm well aware that it's my brother Chris's and when we get the period of like surprisingly extensive numbers of G.I. Joe comics I'm like oh those are Tim's Tim has a whole bunch of various American reprints 
of you know the early Judge Dredd case files and and the other stuff and he had this 2000 best of 2000 AD and I was like oh I'll just show it to Graham listeners because I thought you I thought it would be really fun to show it and I'm shocked by the fact that Graham identified it in the first like second and a half oh it's 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 the greatest stuff it's the greatest stuff it's um John Wagner and Alan Grant possibly right under the TB Grover name at that point Oh, I was um, going to ask about TB Grover because it's 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 um it's a pen name for Wagner and Grant. Oh. There was a point where Wagner and Grant were writing like four strips out of the five strips in 2008 at the same time. Wow! Um, and they invented various pen names. TB Grover was just one of them. Oh, interesting, interesting. Because I was going to ask, did you see that picture that I tweeted like this week that was the uh, the deadly fists of Stan Lee? The, the judge no Dredd but that's story. also yeah that that's also a uh, Wagner and Grant story isn't it that, well it said TB Grover and I'm like who the hell yeah. is that and like super that's... early art from Barry Kitson which is amazing yeah it's it's Wagner and Grant yeah wow wow so um so yeah uh there we have it everyone um uh, I will have to take lots of photos and screenshots. I should warn everyone in advance I don't even know why I'm warning you because by the time you listen to this it will be the past. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not advanced. It's, it's not advanced. advanced. <laughs> People, you when you listen to this and you're wondering why it went up a day late, you'll be able to find out from me now that uh, it's probably going to go up a day late because Edie and I are going to be traveling for the first part of the week. So instead of going up on a Monday afternoon, it's probably not going to go up until like a Wednesday afternoon. And then we've got a skip week, so... Yeah, and next week is in fact a week off. Yeah. Exactly. After doing four of these, admittedly, some of them have been pretty short, but it's been a while since we've done four podcasts in a row, I think, Graham. Yes, good for us. Immediately, we should take a holiday. <laughs> we should. I we I we, think some people may have... We've done four have... podcasts in a row. Time for us to take a break. Hey, for me, definitely. I, I mean, I could talk to you until the cows come home. It's just the actual editing the cows editing. coming home. No, no. Home. You, yeah, I know. You yeah. actually do the, the work of this. I just talk. <laughs> So yes, definitely giving us a chance to recover from Age of Ultron 10 will probably be good for everybody all around, and then we'll have a chance to come back in two weeks uh, fully refreshed and and ready. Like, Graham will have uh, stocked up on the vinegar, I'll have stocked up on the piss, and uh, we'll we'll just be be ready to take on the world again. See, that's not fair, because all you need to do is just, like pee into a bottle and keep it I've actually got to go to the shop it's the gross thing vinegar is awesome you can like put it on your chips excuse me french fries to be fair to be fair you can also put piss in your french fries it's just that they won't taste good okay Graham you've convinced me you can have the piss I'll take the vinegar okay you happy I thought it was trying awesome to fair. that way I save money and I don't have to go to the shops <laughs> somehow I feel this is summed us both up in a terrifying way ladies and gentlemen so <laughs> hey guys we'll talk to you in two weeks we certainly will bye yes Graham even sung them out again that's perfect <laughs>